wonderful morning. That was great. Um, as Duncan has said, uh, the message today is going to be more geared to um, the fact that we've been focusing on the children, and uh, we're going to be thinking about an incident from 1 Samuel chapter 3, the call of God uh, to a child, and how that child uh, responded to God's call. So let, let's read First uh, Samuel chapter 3, and then we'll, we'll think about that. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever, for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to me. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, 
knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Amen. May God's word touch our hearts as we think about it this morning. So it's about a boy, Samuel, young boy, small boy, but it's about more than a boy. It's about, fundamentally, about God and how God calls Samuel and how Samuel eventually responds to that. There are three things actually about this interaction uh, that I want to, to highlight there. If you like, in the story, there are, there are three scenes that make up the entire story. Uh, the first scene is in verses 1 to 3, where we, we read something about the Lord's word, the word of the Lord. And then secondly, from 4 to 18, we learn something about the Lord's call. And then finally, uh, the Lord's presence um, the last couple of verses of the chapter. So, what do we learn about the Lord's Word? Well, it says that the, the Word of the Lord was rare. It was hardly ever heard. Virtual silence. You didn't often hear God's Word in this place, Shiloh, anymore. It used to be the case, but, you know, the months... And the years were stretching on, and, and nobody ever heard God's word. God was conspicuous almost by his absence. Now, there are, there are two things that highlight that point in, in the, the physical description of the event, the kind of symbolic statements, if you like. The first one um, is in verse 2. It says about the old man, the priest Eli, that his eyesight had begun to grow dim so that, it, so that he couldn't see. No, I mean, that was, that, was, that was actually the case. You know, he was maybe trying these things on. Maybe he was listed for his cataract to get taken out. But uh, he was struggling at any rate. And, you know, he was having difficulty getting around because he couldn't see very well. But, but that was almost a kind of symbolic statement, a, a metaphor for his lack of, of spiritual discernment. There were certain things, spiritually speaking, that although he was the priest of God, although he had this position of, of you know, religious prominence, he was not seeing certain things. Now, if you know your story, and if you go back to the beginning of this whole story in chapter 1, you'll know that there's an incident there that makes that point. Hannah, who is Samuel's mother, is praying to God in her distress. And, and Eli thinks that she's, she's drunk, she's intoxicated, and he rebukes her. And, of course, he got it all wrong, totally wrong, because he wasn't perceptive enough. It's also true regarding his own family. We'll come to that later on. There were certain things that his sons were involved in. And, and here we have it. And, and, and how this story on this particular night develops. It takes a while for the penny to drop for Eli. 
There, there's spiritual blindness going on. The word of the Lord is rare. Second point in the description. It says, you know, obviously, it's getting towards evening. And uh, verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. It was nearly lights out time. Time to conserve the electricity. It was part of Samuel's job, maybe, to just put the light out at night. And uh, there's a metaphor there as well, actually. Because, you know, the light, if you like, the lamp of God, the, the light that shone for God's presence and God's truth and God's message, it was at a very low ebb. It was, it was flickering. It was, it was nearly extinguished. It was almost ready to go out. And that picture, the, the picture that's painted, is a picture that's making this point that God's word is not heard. God is not around here. There's a kind of wasteland. You know, it's the Middle Ages. You know, God, God's word is not here in this situation anymore. But the light had not quite gone out. The lamp was ready to go out, but it had not gone out at all. Now, this description is, is not unlike our own times. I think that's fair enough. Uh, to say that the gospel of Christ the message of the Bible the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ these are things that in our day and in our times are, are marginalized are looked upon as being irrelevant by the vast majority and in fact by many they are hostile towards the values of the Bible and the message that the Bible brings. And it would appear as though things are just flickering and eyesight is poor and the word of the Lord is rare. But in this environment, as we're about to find out, there's this boy. He's been sent by his mother at a very young age. Her prayer was that he should be given over to the Lord all the days of his life. And so we see him, we meet him, young as he is, helping the old man, going about his chores. And um, if you look back actually to chapter 2, verse 18, it's quite touching. He's a wee boy, and he's got a wee priest's uniform that he wears. He wears a little linen ephod that had been made for him. And he just looks like the priest as he totters around. And he's helping the old man and he's learning how to go about things. And here he is and he, he lies down at night, this night, in front of the ark. The symbol of the presence of God. So that is, that is scene one about the word of God which was rare in those days. Secondly, the Lord's call. The Lord's call is personal. You notice how Samuel, on that particular night, he hears a voice that he thinks, of course, is, is old Eli. And it's a voice that calls his name persistently. You know, in fact, four times over, his name is called by, by God. Now there's a couple of interesting things that I'd just like to point out to you here. <clears throat> Verse 7. 
It says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now, he knew about the Lord. The old man was teaching him. He knew about the things of the Lord. He knew about the history. He knew about how the process and the structure all worked. But he actually didn't know the Lord for himself in a personal way until this particular night. Now, now that's a point I think worth just stopping on and reflecting on and asking ourselves the question, do we actually know God in this personal kind of way? I I can remember a number of years ago a guy telling me that uh, he had worked beside this chap, he'd been a, a partner in the business, and um, the guy had been involved in something illegal, had to lose his job over it and all the rest of it. And um, the guy said to me, you know, you work with somebody for years, and you think you know them, and something like this happens. You think you know them, but you don't. Isn't, wouldn't it be tragic if, if we thought that we knew God? But, but we didn't actually know him in this personal way. You know, how do we know God? We, we know God through his son, the Lord Jesus, because God so loved the world that he, he gave him. We see God in the face of Jesus Christ. He, he is the expression, the revealer of God. And how do we know the Lord Jesus? Well, fundamentally, we know him through his book, the Bible, by reading about him and understanding what he was like, what he said, what he did. But it's it's even more than that. We have to respond to that with an attitude of of belief and, and of faith. Because it's not just knowing the information. It's not just knowing the facts and the data. It's about, at a personal level, knowing somebody as you know a friend. And it is to know Christ as Savior and as Lord of our life. To to walk with Him, to talk with Him in prayer, to listen to Him, And when we read this book, we're thinking, I'm actually listening to him speaking to me, and I am speaking to him in prayer. And what I read here, it is what he says to me, and I obey him, and I know him through this. And and at that point, he, he didn't know God. Now, the great thing, of course, that we're going to learn, one of the great things is this, that although he's a boy, he can and he will come to know God. In this way. And, and that's our great prayer, of course, for all the children and for, for all of us, that we come to know Christ personally as our Savior and as our Lord. Now, there is another point that I want to, to make here as well, and it's this it's the, re, the response that Eli gave. Eli said eventually, you know, um, I, I, th- I think it is the, the Lord that is speaking to you. 
Uh, he was getting a bit irritated. His sleep had now been broken on three occasions, and he's thinking, I'm going to be shattered tomorrow with all the stuff that's ahead of me. Um, and, and Samuel will be up at six in the morning or whatever. But uh, no, he realizes now what's going on. And uh, he says, this is what you have to say. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel gets that into his mind and he goes back to his bed and he, and he lies down and the word comes to him for the fourth time. Now, I mean, that point in itself is quite important. God didn't just speak once and because there wasn't an answer and because there wasn't a response, decided to leave it and move on to somebody else. He stayed there and with patience and persistence, he continued to call the name of this child. God in his patience. I mean, we're not often like that. I went out the front yesterday and the wind blew the door shut. You know, and I, I rang the door a couple of times and nobody came because Angelo's out the back. And I thought, well, what's going on here, you know? Uh, and, you know, sometimes this point is lost to us. It's the patience of God to continue to speak to us and to call us. And he calls us again today by name. And this is the response that is the ideal response that he's looking for. Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. Let's think about that. Your servant. So, I'm not, I'm not putting myself at the same level as God. I'm, I'm, I'm not questioning God. I'm not second-guessing or criticizing God. I'm recognizing that I am to be God's servant, that he's greater than I am, and, and, and I am putting myself in the position of obeying God's word and doing what he says and of being his servant and of, of listening to him. And that is the attitude of heart that is expected of all of us. To humbly receive the message that we need and that God has to say to us. There's, there's, a, there's a hymn I thought about and it's obviously based on this passage. It goes like this. Speak, Lord, in the stillness. While I wait on thee, hushed my heart to listen in expectancy. Speak, O blessed Master, in this quiet hour. Let me see thy face, Lord. Hear thy touch of power. How should I respond? Speak, Lord. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to hear and be your servant and serve you. Now, the, the message that was spoken, I, I don't think really was a message that Samuel expected. It was not an easy message to hear. It was actually a very solemn and somber message. Now, the background to that, if you were to read the first couple of chapters of this book, is about the sins of Eli's sons, Dreadful things that they did. Immoral, corrupt, wicked boys. 
And yet they were priests. And, I mean, Eli did speak to them, in fairness. But we read, did we not, that he didn't really do anything about it. He spoke to them, he rebuked them, but he didn't restrain them. And in fact, in many ways, Eli was complicit in what they were doing because he benefited from some of the corruption that they were involved in. You can read that. You know, it's almost like the kind of abuse stuff in the Catholic Church and all the rest of it that we, we, we've heard in the news. And, and, and Eli knows about this and he hasn't done anything about it. And so, so God speaks to, to young Samuel. And he said, my word is not going to be scarce anymore. Here, here is the message. And I want you to deliver this to Eli. And uh, I mean, the sad thing, I mean, the almost shocking thing that we read about in verse number uh, 14, and you can almost hardly believe that it's in the Bible, is that he says that the iniquity of Eli's house will not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. There's no way back. You know, there's no second chance. There is no sacrifice that is going to atone for what these guys did. Week by week, we preach the gospel and we make the point, as we have been from the book of Romans, that uh, we're not ashamed of this gospel. It's the power of God to salvation for anyone that believes. Paul presented himself as the chief of sinners and God showed mercy to me. We sing Charles Wesley's great hymn, you know, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. And, and all of these things are true. But there is a certain situation where although we say the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can cleanse from all sin for anyone who comes in faith, absolutely true, totally true, without a shadow of doubt, if somebody persists in their wickedness, if somebody continues to harden their heart, and refuses to, to accept what God says and persists in that course of life and just never turns around, there's no, there is no sacrifice. There is no atonement. If you stick with your attitude, there needs to be an awareness of wrongdoing. There needs to be an awareness of falling short There needs to be awareness that there's a problem here and that I need to turn to Christ for salvation. If you don't have that, and if you continue in that course, never atoned for. Now, let me get you to turn to another verse in the Bible, actually, that just kind of says that same thing. It's in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit 
and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Here were people who just brazenly and persistently trampled underfoot the gospel and despised Christ and didn't change their heart. It's impossible for people who who continue in that situation to experience God's salvation. So there's, there's a real warning that Samuel has to bring. Difficult, difficult message that he has to deliver. And I mean, again, for ourselves, it puts everything into perspective. We're not just here on a Sunday morning to, to hear something that makes us feel good for the week. We're here to hear the truth of God. The truth about our predicament, the seriousness of it, and how the Lord Jesus comes to be the Savior from, for sinners. And that we, we need to respond to him and say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Now, just as we close, the last point, uh, the Lord's presence, the third, the third scene. Well, if, uh, if the Lord's word was, was rare, and if uh, the Lord's call was personal, uh, the Lord's presence becomes increasingly obvious. The Lord's presence with Samuel. Because it becomes absolutely obvious to everybody that Samuel is established now as a prophet of the Lord. The the voice of God is now being heard. There's an interesting phrase that says that the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. So he spoke. And when people heard what he had to say, they didn't say, well, that's just kind of vacuous stuff. That's a lot of drivel. You know, that's all just hot air. Uh, we know it's just waffle. No, no. When people listened to what Samuel had to say, it came across with a sense of authority and importance and, and the feeling that this, this was solid. This was right. This, this is true. And everybody recognized that there was, there was something about what Samuel said that, that didn't fall to the ground. It was God's word. And so, the presence of God was with him. Samuel was being changed. He was growing up, it says, but he was growing spiritually. He continued to have that response in his heart, Lord, speak, your servant's listening. And as as he had that attitude and God spoke to him, and of course he passed this test, didn't he? If he decided, you know, I can't deliver this message to Eli. After he'd gone back to bed that fourth time, and he'd listened to that, and he tossed and turned all night long and thought, you know, this is tough. I can't, I can't tell the old man this. And the light begins to, to come up in the morning, and he says, I better get up and deliver and do my chores. And his job is to open the door, and the sun streams in, and the old man comes in with his head still wet from his shower, and he says, you know what? What did he say to you last night? What was that message? And he sees the boy's reluctance and he says, you need to tell me. 
And although it's difficult, he gives the message. And it's, it was because he followed through and he did speak for God. He passed the test, if you like, and God continued to reveal himself to him. And he continued to give the word to the people. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. The word of the Lord. It was obvious that it was there. And what a, what a change, if you like. What a change from the beginning to the end of this particular story. They had confidence in him. And I hope that as we have just listened to this and reflected on it, this sense of confidence in the word of God and what it says, even although sometimes it's difficult to hear, that we will accept it with the same sort of attitude that he had. And of course, you know, we've watched the boys and girls today. And what has been our prayer for them? It is that despite a godless culture, they will hear God calling them individually and personally. And they will respond in the way that Samuel did. And they will experience the presence of God in their lives. And they will be able to make a difference and a change in their own generation as they grow up. And what is our part to play in that? Well, it's to be like the lady who's behind the scenes here. We hardly read about her in this chapter, but it's Samuel's mother who prayed for him and who continued to pray for him. For us as parents and as a wider church family to be committed to that and to be able to see along with, with what Hannah did. She said, you know, for this child I prayed and I will continue to pray. And, and look what happened. Look what happened. And look what can still happen. The potential that is here in this church as we look at all these wonderful children who we've seen today. May God touch all our hearts as we think about the call of God uh, to Samuel. Now we'll pray and then there'll be our final hymn. Lord, we give thanks for this wonderful story. And for all the potential and possibilities that come out of it. And we pray again for every child and young person who's part of this church. That they all come to this personal, real, genuine experience of, of knowing you. Listening to your voice. Responding in faith to our Lord Jesus. And for all of us at whatever age or stage. We give thanks for all who have been committed to the teaching of the children, for the Sunday school and Bible class leaders, and for each parent and grandparent. And we just pray, Lord, this morning, that now as we leave this place, that we will go with a sense of your presence and of hearing your voice and of the reality of spiritual truth, as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.